Hello and welcome to the channel that teaches you the things your parents and teachers are too afraid to, the Hedius blog. Today, Jordan Peterson talks about how the radical left is guilt-tripping the West into oblivion. Let's get into it. The reason she's alone is because she's difficult. Women are not accepting the bare minimum. Women fuck men they respect. All the women who say things like, I'm strong, independent, I don't need no man, like, y'all impress me. Women just gaslight each other and say what they want to hear. If you decide to lie, you're making the assumption that escaping scot-free or obtaining an undeserved advantage will pay off over the long run, all things considered. And you have no evidence for that at all, you know, and everyone knows this. You can do something stupid to get out of a jam and get away with it, but the chickens come home to roost, and virtually everyone knows that. So you're going to evince faith in one strategy or another, or you're going to lie sometimes and tell the truth other times, and I wouldn't recommend that at all, because all that does is make you one confused person. So you're playing both ends against the middle. When Christ comes back in the book of Revelation, he says the worst form of hell is reserved for the people who play both ends against the middle, who sit on the fence. Right, so that's worth knowing. Machiavelli, you must choose a side. And so, if you are wise and you have any sense and a certain degree of courage, then you say what you have to say and you, you let the devil take the hindmost. And so... Indeed. The reason my channel exists. So, that's what you do if you're a dissident. You, you make your bloody decision. And I've seen this. I, I just talked to Douglas Murray about this this week, you know, about because Murray is notable for his courage. And courageous people are actually quite rare, uh, much rarer than I even thought, even though I knew they were rare. I didn't know they were as rare as they are. But Murray says what he thinks, and to hell with the consequences, so to speak. But he was also convinced that there is no better path forward than saying what he thinks. And we took that apart to some degree. I mean, first of all, if you say what you think, what happens to you is your happening. If ah, yes, indeed. What, if you say what you think, basically, you determine your fate and not somebody else. I, that's very wise. I've never thought of that. If you engage in a lie, that's not you. God only knows what it is and what you're serving. So if you lie to get your way, it's not your way that you get. It Indeed, it's this fake creature that you've created. Interesting. It's the way of the lie. And if you think that's a good idea, go try it. And then you think, well, what's your evidence that's a good idea? Have you ever lied to yourself and have that work? How about you lie to your intimate yep. partner? Yep. You think that's going to work out? No. Or your family members? Indeed. Or you lie to your business partners or your customers? That's going to work, is it? No. Who thinks that? No one thinks. Absolutely, that won't work. That's why, actually, I can finally throw this anecdote in there. So I, I recently got a new uh, coaching. I don't even know what to call them. Pupil? Anyway, client. Let's, let's use the word client. Got a new coaching client, okay? And he told me that, you know, he's talked to a bunch of different, like, dating coaches or whatever and um none of them really helped him right he got like you know he had to pay for one of them 90 dollars for an email you know 90 us dollars for an email and the email was just you know gobbledygook 
hogwash. It's useless, right? And he was like, you're the first person that gave me some clarity. He's like, why do you think that is? And I was like, because they're grifters. They don't actually care to help you. What they care about is getting money. And, you know, you lie to a person, you get $90 once. Fantastic. But, you know, you lie to 10,000 people. So you get $90 times 10,000, $90,000, and you you take it all the way to the bank. But it's not a good long-term strategy because eventually people realize you're a grifter and your business falls apart. I actually have... This stuff that I'm saying, I'm not just, like, lying. You know, like, anyway, the irony, the irony of it all. Anyway, I'll actually try to tell it to you straight so that you can actually learn something, so you can actually grow. If you come to my coaching, I I won't try to screw you over like this. And if that means that, uh, You know, I don't get $90 for an email, so be it. All right, let's continue. Thinks that. People will still do it, and they'll pretend that it's okay, but no one with an iota of sense ever thinks that that. No one says to their child, well, you know, son, the best way forward in every situation is to just figure out what the other person wants to hear from you and tell them, and if you can lie to get yourself out of a jam, well, what the hell, you might as well do it, because that's what sensible people do. Uh, yeah. Nobody says that. You know, people might act it out, but no one believes it. And it is a matter of belief. So if you're a dissident, you say what you think. And you think, and I think, you know. The global lie, right? 2023. The, the global womanist um, matriarchy lie, which doesn't work, hasn't worked ever. And the, you know, cultural creations of such a, such a state that leads to everybody being miserable, not understanding why. Yeah. There's a reason I speak out against it. I just can't be silent. It's just how it is, guys. I could either have a false reality on my side, or I could have the closest approximation to the truth that I can manage. Yeah, I'll pick the latter. Thank you very much. And if that means I I have to stand up against my idiot governments, like, I'm way more afraid of the lie. Yeah, exactly. I'm more afraid of the system that would be created if I can't speak what I'm saying. It's true. Even though people have said that I'm a, you know, I'm a coward for hiding my face and so on. So it goes, it's an underground radio broadcast for a reason. Then I am of Trudeau. But just looking throughout history at some of those dissidents in the Soviet Union, for example, and one of those people that you very much promote and have made far more well-known, I think, among many younger people is Solzhenitsyn mm-hmm. and you know, his famous book, The Gulag Archipelago and everything else. Why do you think so few people in the West know about these dissidents in the Soviet Union? Because the message is written by the winners and the Soviet Union won in the sense that it was able to capture the, the minds of so many people and basically use the, the wealth that it accrued in order to paint a certain picture, right, that got released to everybody around the world. That's that's why. That, that's my opinion. Let's, let's see what Jordan says. 
Well, because our education system in the West has been gripped by the delusion since the Second World War that authoritarianism was a purely a right-wing phenomenon. Indeed. Which is, of course, to call that delusional, you know. <laughs> that was funny. There was Stalin. There was Lenin. There was Mao. There was Pol Pot. I mean, how many God... Oh, lordy lord, yeah. And uh, actually, ironically, uh, or maybe not ironically, more people were killed there than in, you know, in the wars. But maybe I'm wrong about this. Uh, you guys, you guys in the in the comments can uh, can research for me. Were these dictators here responsible for more, more deaths, or was World War Two responsible for more deaths? So add up the deaths of, um, you know, Mao, Stalin, Lenin, Pol Pot, etc. Uh, compare that to World War II's death toll and tell me if it's similar or, or if the, these people cost more. Anyway, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm sure you guys can tell me in the comments. Again, guys, I'm not an expert on every affair possible. If, if <laughs> I, I would be an ultra genius if, if I was, and unfortunately, I'm not that. So. What damn examples do you need? So obviously, there's left wing authoritarianism, but Indeed. the game on the left is that. Well, that doesn't really exist, or that was a misapplication of a perfectly functional theory. Yeah, I, no. I asked a friend of mine, a Jewish guy, why so many Jewish people in the Soviet Union were attracted to communism. And he said, because it offered the possibility of universal brotherhood. Right. Considering uh, what happened throughout history towards them. You know, and that, that's the difference between, say, fascism in its more explicit forms and communism, is that communism at least says we could all be brothers, right? And that's an attractive doctrine. And I suppose at the time of the Russian Revolution, it wasn't self-evident that that idea was doomed to failure. Now, it's bloody well self-evident now, if now, evidence yeah. means anything at all to you. But it, there's that attraction in the communist doctrine of equality, which is sort of what we want in our families, and then universal brotherhood, which is a paradisal dream, I suppose. Um, of course, in the bowels of the communist... It's the wool that you use to pull over the people's eyes while you're actually... Again, they say we're all equal, right? But, you know, it's like all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. It's like that, right? So effectively, it's just dictatorship by another name. Right? It's kings by another name, like monarchy, right? That wealth gets redistributed to favor the people that are in power in whatever the new system is. It's just they're, they're different monarchs, right? It's a different excuse as to why they get those resources and not others, right? Oh, we understand the brotherhood better than anyone else, and so we should get to decide where the money goes and so on. Garbage like this, I'm sure conceptual structure are policies that are absolutely 100% murderously counterproductive. But they sound good too, like from each according to his ability to each according to his need. You know, it sounds paradisal. It means, well, everybody could have their needs met. Of course, you instantly entangle yourself in, well, what is a need and whose need is deemed paramount? Yup, exactly. And whose need supersedes who else's need and so on.
And that's complete bloody hell. And then, well, who defines ability? And how do you know when someone's contributing to the limits of their ability, right? Because they can still stand up. So, you know, there, there are these glossy, attractive slogans. Slogan, by the way, that's derived from two Welsh words, sluag and garum, and that means battle cry of the dead. Right, so these, these slogans that appeal to people who know nothing, who are thoughtless, who are motivated to some degree by their compassion, in the case, let's say, of the useful idiots. And Yup, which would describe 2023 in a nutshell, right? It's basically useful idiots that have no idea that what the, the views that they're espousing are stupid because they don't know, like, it sounds good. It's like, oh, everyone should be equal. You know, everyone should have equal opportunity. Everyone should have the same outcome and so on. Now, equal opportunity is great. But to have an equal outcome without working hard to deserve that outcome is hogwash, and so on. And then motivated by the desire to use compassion as a camouflage by the more psychopathic types. But Indeed. it sounds good. And the left can claim, well, you know, it was a really good idea. And look at all the terrible things capitalism does. And capitalism does concentrate power and wealth in the hands of fewer and fewer people, which it does. But so does every other economic system ever invented or discovered. So it's not, you know, attributable to capitalism. That's right. And so... Including, ironically, communism. That combined with this promise of universal brotherhood and the desire of the radical leftists to overthrow the capitalist endeavor... Even though it would just create a different quasi-capitalist endeavor, right? It would just be like, who, who, who is the king now? Well, the king now is whoever is the most oppressed on the oppression hierarchy, right? Whoever is the most oppressed is now the greatest power, and they should get the greatest wealth because they were treated the worst historically, even though it's revisionist history that, isn't, that doesn't really have basis in reality unless you, you count reality as only the last 150 years and no, no other, which is, of course, utterly ridiculous. Uh, history is much longer than the last 150 years, and so on. Means that the faculties of education produce teachers who are who know nothing about what actually happened in the 20th century because they don't know anything about anything at all. Indeed. And even if they did know, would be inclined to downplay it or to excuse it with, you know, hand-waving like, well, that wasn't real communism. So let's focus. We've got the dissidents on one hand who are very, very rare in the system. But what about the majority of the population? And let's focus on them for a moment, mm -hmm. particularly in the Soviet Union. Maybe you can talk about other authoritarian regimes in the 20th century as well. But how did the majority of the population react to, say, Soviet propaganda, Maoist propaganda, Nazi propaganda? Probably didn't agree with it, but went with it because they were afraid to disappear like the people they'd heard disappear in their neighborhood. Probably like that would be my guess. Well, they, and, they, and what was they the aim of that propaganda? They formulated it and propagated it and, and lived by it and, and distributed it. Like, it's a misapprehension. We, we like to think that totalitarian systems are ruled by a sort of singular, top-down tyrant. Hitler, Stalin, Lenin. It's like, no. A totalitarian state is ruled by the lie. And the lie is the principle of governance, and everyone who lies is complicit in maintenance of the state. So that would be like um, this radical left political thing, which is more like a religion 
than uh, than anything true. And so, you know, the Soviet joke, we... It's effectively like a god king. It's just the god is not, you know, Ra. The god is... Everyone is equal regardless of effort or ability. Some people are more oppressed and we should kowtow to them because they they were in the past. Pretend to work. They pretend to pay us. And so... The, a totalitarian state isn't the freedom-loving masses pining for uh, deliverance out of the desert but oppressed by the thumb of Stalin. It's every single person lying about absolutely everything to themselves and everyone they love 100% of the time. And so, and sometimes that lie is just silence. So I've been looking at the book of Jonah. I'm going to open my new book with this chapter. So Jonah, as far as we know, is just minding his own business. And then he hears a voice. It's the voice of conscience. Because that's established by this time in the biblical corpus. It's the voice of conscience. And it says, you know that city, Nineveh? That's actually a city of foreigners, by the way, and enemies of the Israelites. So not a city that Jonah would necessarily be uh, sympathetic towards. Um, Or vice versa. God says, you know that city, Nineveh? And and Jonah says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've fallen off the rails in a serious way, and I'm thinking about taking them out. And so I want you to go there and tell them of my intentions and of their transgressions. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that'll work. I'm sure that'll work out great. And Jonah thinks, I don't give a damn about the inhabitants of Nineveh. They're the enemies of Israel anyways. And that's a city of like 120,000 people, and why the hell would they listen to me? And if I go to Nineveh, well, that's going to be a very difficult voyage, and the probability of a dismal end for me is very, very high. And so how about no? So he jumps on a boat and goes in the opposite direction. (laughs) Sounds like, yeah, okay. That sounds about right. And uh, as anybody sensible would, and as most people always do. And so that's fine, except now the storms come. Ah, perfect. And the waves start to rise and the wind starts to blow. And, and it blows them exactly to Nineveh. And, uh, the ship is in danger of capsizing. And so that's what happens when you hold your tongue when you've been told to say something. And so the so- sailors, who are a rather superstitious lot, think there must be someone on this boat who isn't in the good graces of the gods they serve. And so they. Yup, that's accurate. They start to go through the passenger list and ask everybody. And Jonah admits that. He had a direct commandment, which he broke, and that he's the guy to blame. And so the sailors have to throw him overboard. And they don't actually do this out of cruelty. They do this out of necessity. And so, well, so now Jonah has run away from his conscience, and he's put the ship in danger, and now he's drowning. And you think, well, that's pretty bad, because he's going to die. But that's not bad enough, because the next thing that happens is a creature from the abyss itself comes up from the bottom of reality and takes him in its jaws and takes him all the way down to hell. And it is lovely hell. He's three days down there, just like Christ harrowing hell, right? And there are explicit references to the bottom of the ocean being hell in the book of Jonah. So this isn't my imagination. And so what does that mean? 
means if you hold your tongue when you have something to say, not only do you put everyone else in danger on the ship, and not only do you end up like in a place where you might die, but then something will happen to you so terrible that you'll wish that death would have taken you. And so now Jonah's at the bottom of the ocean, baking away because he didn't say what he was called upon to say, and he repents and says, all right, you know, I've learned my lesson. Now that I've been in hell itself, I'll go to Nineveh as you commanded. And so the whale goes... <laughs> well, some people don't learn except if they get such a lesson, right? That's, that also is the lesson, right? And, and, and I think Jonah is all of us. I don't think, you know, I'm not so arrogant as to think that I'm this perfect person that speaks the, the truth every second of every day. You know, though I'd like to. Goes up to the shore and spits him out, and away he goes, and then he goes to Nineveh. Congratulations, I just revealed myself to be a coward. Surprise, the guy that hides his face isn't the bravest one. Hmm. And he tells them what he has to tell them, and they actually repent, oddly enough, and don't destroy him. Maybe because he has the courage of his conviction by this point, and... God spares the city from destruction. Well, that's what that story means. So, you hold your tongue when you have something to say at your peril. And that's a sin of omission, right? And people are, easy, are willing to pass that off. You know, why do I have to put my neck out? It's like, hey man, part of the reason is you're putting your neck out no matter what you do. People don't understand that, eh? But the most extraordinary thing is that there are some people who do tell the truth during yeah. these terrible regimes. Well, you know, in, in, when Lot and Abraham go to visit Sodom, Abraham bargains with God because God's going to take Sodom out. And uh, Abraham says, because God says, ah, the whole city's corrupt. And Abraham says, well, you mean, what do you mean, the whole city? You mean everybody? And God says, yeah, pretty much. And Abraham says, well, if there's 40 men there that aren't corrupt, will you spare the city? God says, yeah, okay. And then Abraham Hilarious. says, well, how about 30? And God says, you're pushing your luck, but yes. And then he says, 20. And finally, he bargains God down to 10. Right. And what that means is that I think what it means is that if... It doesn't take a lot. It just takes 10 good people. 10 people can still tell the truth. There's hope. Once you get below that, if it's none, well, then you're in hell, right? And then then, you know, the, the, what, the fire and brimstone will definitely rain down on your city. That's comedians, right? The comedians, they can tell the truth. And if there's, there doesn't have to be very many people who can still put their head up above the ter- parapet and say, here's something funny and true, you know, it, very few people. So let's talk about some of those cases that, and I think they're really interesting. Scholzenitzen is someone I'm, I'm sure you know a lot about. Maybe you can talk about what inspired him and what happened to him, but also... He in- took responsibility for his condition. You know, when he was in the gulag, Solzhenitsyn had every reason to be a victim because the reason he was in the gulag was because of Hitler and Stalin. <laughs> and so if you need someone to blame, man... It's fairly easy to do so, yeah. Those are two credible perpetrators. But Solzhenitsyn asked himself, he saw two things. He saw in the prison camps that there were religious believers who conducted themselves nobly under impossible conditions. And that was really, that really made him think. And then he realized too that the the prisoners were running the camps. 
Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, in any system where you have more slaves than you have slave drivers, the slaves, to some extent, have to agree to the system, as it was in Sparta. And eventually, it's it's inevitably going to break, because you can't get that many people to go against their nature for too long, right? But it's very interesting. Right, so people were enslaved by their own slavishness. And then he started to think, well, maybe the way I lived my life had something to do with why I ended up here. And by doing that, he did what Dostoevsky recommended people do. Dostoevsky said, every man is responsible not only for everything that happens to him, but for everything that happens to everyone else. Now, that's a crazy thing to say. But, but not exactly. And the reason for that is, if you followed the gospel injunction, let's say, if you were perfect like your father in heaven is perfect, how much better would the world be? Much better. And the answer is, you don't know. Yeah. Like, if you were the most glittering, shining example that you could possibly be, how much good could you do? And the answer, again, well, that's what your life's for, is to find that out. And so... The fact that things are shaking and rocking, how much your sin is associated with the fact that everything shakes and rocks is a completely open question. And I think the world is actually constituted so that everything that happens is every individual's fault. <laughs> you know, it's a actually true. That, of course. Because really, reality is made by everyone's mutual agreement of what reality is. And that goes along with the idea that each person has a spark of the divine within them that shouldn't be hidden, that, that you hide to your peril and to the peril of the world. Now, it's a strange metaphysical idea, but that doesn't really bother me because life is no shortage of strange. Indeed. This was, guys, I really enjoyed doing this episode. I hope you did as well. Jordan always has such nice and interesting things to say. I only wish that I could express myself as well as him. Wow. Alright. Hit the like, hit the sub, hit all the notifications. Drop your donation like Hunter M, Adrian Arton, and Bobby. Shoutouts to you. Most recent purchase of Strategist Guide to Seduction. Go buy my books at bit.ly slash Helios Books. Shoutouts to Curry Kid. Most recent purchase of Strategist Guide to Seduction. If you're interested in coaching, like the person in the anecdote today, or maybe it was last episode. Just hit me up at theheliosblog at gmail.com. Again, guys, thank you so much for listening, especially if you listen to the end. I really do appreciate it. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time.